Hello and welcome back to RX Express. I'm actually, after this episode, going to be changing the name to Crisis Chronicles. Apparently, RX Express has given some people the wrong idea about what I am trying to do here. So it will have a different logo and a different look to it. So today, we are going to be talking about the process of sectioning someone, what it means, the process of what it looks like in the courts, the process for the individual. And I have speaking with me today, my daughter, Sarah. Last week I had my brother, today I have my daughter. So welcome, Sarah, thank you for coming on here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I love you, I'm so proud of you. What I wanna do first is as a disclaimer, I want you to know that if it sounds like Sarah and I are making light of any part of this, it is just because we're on the other side of it now, hopefully. And we have to make light of certain situations because when we were going through this, this is just an exhausting process for Sarah, for our family, it is not easy to do. And I don't want anyone to think that I'm being flip about certain circumstances or situations, but there were some funny moments in this process and I'm glad we had them. I mean, from my experience, you do have to laugh about certain things. And, and this was a long road for about five years for us. It really was. and. In total, in those five years, I went to court close to 10 times. Sarah was sectioned three of those times to a facility. But first, let's just talk about what it actually means to section someone. Because Section 35 is different in different states. In Massachusetts, it's a law that allows a qualified person, and that's the key, so a qualified person being police officer, a doctor, a spouse, a blood relative, a guardian, a court official, those persons can require someone to be civilly committed and treated involuntarily for an alcohol or substance use disorder. In order to do it though, there is a process that we're gonna talk about, but that person has to meet two criteria. And I will tell you, if you do not meet both of those criteria, that individual is walking out the front door. The criteria is this. First, the person has to have an alcohol or substance disorder, and there is a likelihood, and that is a tricky word, of serious harm to self or others as a result of their substance use disorder. So if both of those criteria are met and the judge decides that this is the right move, then the person gets sectioned and they get sent to a detox treatment center. So Watsi is the high, po is high point treatment center for women. It is located in New Bedford. In the West 
western part of Massachusetts, there's very little resources here for women. So most of the help is on the East Coast. So I'm going to give a little bit of history because we're not going to focus so much on Sarah's alcoholism. I want to focus this on this process of sectioning someone because it's really important for people to know it is not an easy process. So in 2016 was really the first time that I attempted to section Sarah. She had been drinking in the house. I needed her out of the house. I didn't want to kick her out on the street. So a friend of mine who had gone through it educated me on this process and it was my first time going to court. When you go to court, there are a series of papers you have to fill out and it depends if the person is a minor or if they're an adult, because minors have very little autonomy. Sarah being an adult, she, it was really in her, that the ball was in her court once she was sectioned. So after filling out the paperwork in the courthouse, then, and it's usually about four or five forms, and you have to write in detail of what is going on. And you have to show proof that they fit those two criteria because when you go in front of the judge, he is going to ask you, and he is going to be asking you again when Sarah was there. Now, at this point, anyone who's sectioned or is brought in to have a hearing is given a lawyer. So Sarah, when you got the lawyer the first time, when I tried to section you, did your lawyer at any point suggest voluntarily committing yourself? He actually didn't. Um, I don't remember if I was asked if I wanted to. I, I just remember being so um, dead set on not being sectioned that that wasn't really even a conversation. I was just trying to get out of it, whatever I could do. And basically, what did you have to tell them to get out of it? Well, to start off, when you did section me, do you want me to go into um, kind of how I got to the courthouse first? Yes. As, so I was at home with you and, um, Basically, you called me out to the living room. I had already been drinking a little that day, actually, and there were the three police officers waiting for me. So I didn't know what was going on. They said they had to take me. You were visibly upset about it. And I was told I was being sectioned. Didn't really know what that meant. And then when I got to the courthouse, um, they bring you down to the holding cell to talk to your lawyer that they appoint you. And they basically just ask some basic questions about if I feel like I have a problem, how much I'm drinking. Um, at that point, I was lying to them about how much I was drinking, that I don't have a problem. It's kind of more of my mental health. So 
it, it was stuff and there, I wasn't really, I didn't have a history yet of getting in trouble with the law. And so they didn't really realize how much I, there was no proof of how much I was really drinking and how it was affecting me at that time. Right. And it's hard when you're in court, I had to stand there and I just remember Sarah, you were, you looked at me with such contempt. You were so angry and I was so disheartened, but I knew I was doing the right thing. Whether it was going to be successful or not, I had to do something because I wasn't going to let you stay at the house. I didn't want you, I was worried about you being on the street. So to me, this was the next logical step. So when you section someone, it cannot exceed 90 days. So after the 30 or 90 days, whatever it is, and I don't believe you ever stayed 90 days. No, and it, when I first was sectioned, it was a minimum of 21 days. So I stayed 21 days straight. And then now it's a minimum of 28 days. It was 21, now it's 28. And yeah, so I just stayed the minimum, that's it. Unless you're having behavior problems there, they really don't keep you. Right. So for females, just a little idea of this. There's four places. There's the WATSI, which stands for Women's Addiction Treatment Center, and that's in New Bedford. Then there's another program in Taunton, Mass. And then there's High Point, which is in Jamaica Plains. And then there's other acute treatment programs around the state. And then for men, they have Men's Addiction Treatment Center. They have Massachusetts Alcohol and Substance Abuse Center and Stony Brook Stabilization and Treatment Center. So those are the main places where adults go. So what had happened when I attempted to section Sarah the first time, it was not successful because I could not prove that she was a harm to herself. The first criteria they knew, she, they knew she had an alcohol disorder, but I could not prove that she was in danger of hurting herself or someone else. They wanted pictures. They wanted an audio recording. They want tangible proof that this person needs to be involuntarily committed. So if you don't meet that criteria, and it may sound like it's just two, but those two things are, are very important and not easy to prove if the person you're trying to commit is telling the judge something completely opposite. So the second time, there's a lot of in between these times when Sarah actually was sectioned where I was in and out of that courthouse at least once a week. Because what happens is Sarah was not living with me at the time. So when I sectioned her or I attempted to section her, what happens is the police will go and look for the person. But once their shift is over and it's the end of the day, that's it. I have to go to court the next day and go through the whole process all over again. So if they don't find the person, within the period of time 
that that day is over, you're going to be repeating the process. So when finally, Sarah, they did section you the first time, tell us the process of that happening. Well, it was easy for me to be tracked down because I had gotten arrested the night before and I had been drinking. So when I had court in the morning, I was already brought over from the jail. And so I think that's where you saw your opportunity to get me sectioned. And since I had just been arrested for being so intoxicated and having a whole incident, it was, they didn't really need much, much more proof at that point after the night I had. So even though I did try to fight it, they, I remember the judge, they listened to you, but they were on your side at that point. Right. Now the police, I do want to say this, the police can section you, it's called the section 12. And they did do that during COVID. However, they weren't going to keep anybody. They, they brought her to the hospital. They brought you to the emergency room. And I believe you sat in the hallway for the duration of your time there, correct? Yeah, I stayed there. I was just in the hallway at the hospital. And then in the morning, as long as you tell I just told them I didn't want to hurt myself anymore, and they kind of just let me go. So tell me the process of getting to New Bedford. Who brings you? Who's with you? Are you talking? What's going on? So after you go in front of the judge and they decide they're going to commit you, you basically have to just wait in the holding cell. You wait at the courthouse until you get picked up. For me, um, I was in there for about eight hours waiting for the van to pick us up. And so you get picked up in the van, you're in shackles. And so it's kind of just like they're taking you off to jail. You're with other prisoners who have to get dropped off along the way. Being, so far they have to take everyone en route so that's just why it takes so long so you get to Watsi late later at night and you're shackled all the way up to the front door in Watsi so the officers walk you in take your shackles off and directly hand you over to the intake person at Watsi and you basically you go in and you you sit down for a moment, you might be with someone else who just got brought in. And it's it's not too overwhelming right away on it. I mean, it's just you and someone doing your intake. So I do wanna say that you only have to be sober six months to work at this facility. I can't speak for any of the other facilities. I know this. So here you have these women and the people that are helping them probably are still in need of help themselves. So that was a little bit disconcerting to me, but I did not hear anything from Sarah until a couple weeks in. She needed some things that I brought to her and they were ready to release her. 
she was telling them, I think you were telling them what you needed to. Well, yeah, I, at first, I, I had always been good at putting on that front to people I didn't know. And, you know, I mean, my genuine self when I'm not drinking is, is I try to be like the best person I am. So I was putting that, um, putting that front on for them. Right. And I, yeah, I, I don't think I was ready to speak to you for a couple weeks. And then I ended up calling you because I did need some things. <laughs> I think she needed cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the process of this is, and I, I wondered this when you were there, is are they dealing with psychiatric issues there so do they deal with mental health right well when you're when you're in there um after you go through the detox process which is a week um you basically and even in the detox process you have a clinician everyone gets assigned a clinician and and you do some group therapy and then, and it honestly isn't really therapy. It's kind of just, it feels like just like one big support group. Cause even if you get off topic, everyone has a million things they want to talk about. Um, but with your clinician, your one-on-one, -on -one, it's not very much therapeutic in my eyes. They, for me, it was more just keeping me sober. I wasn't really helped with the mental state. So tell us what happened, and I think it was the first time, because you went to Watsi three times. What time was it, and what happened when you were released? And they didn't call me to tell me. I think they just dropped you off at the house, and then you went to the police station to get your things. Yeah, that was, because um, I think after the first time you texted me, you said I could come home, and I did well for a little, but the second time I believe I wasn't allowed to be coming home to you, but I knew you were at work. So I had gotten dropped off at, at basically you just need someone to say they can come home with you. So at the time, my boyfriend said I could stay with him. So the clinician said, okay, they just drop you off at that address. So I was dropped off and then I went to pick up my stuff at the police station because I had been arrested before getting sectioned and called the cab to your house just to get some things and shower. And I had just opened my purse after getting the, from the police station and all of my empty and full nip bottles were in there. So, instantly getting out of Watsi, I had relapsed in less than 12 hours. Yeah. And when I, I did speak to the police about that after, and they explained to me that they did not have a reason to go into your wallet. They could not do right. that. And I do want to say that the Northampton Police Department, the officers that dealt with Sarah and with myself were amazing. They explained so much of this process to me. When I was discouraged, they spoke to me. I called and spoke to one officer in particular a couple of times. 
And when I needed to find Sarah, they knew where she was going to be. So they made the process a lot more tolerable. What I wanna ask you, Sarah, is if you look at the people that were in Watsi with you, do you think that it was a higher percent of people that were not only dealing with drugs and alcohol, but significant mental health issues? Yeah, I would say anyone who ends up in that situation is dealing with mental health issues that they're not addressing. Um, just because I just don't see why they would be there if, if everything was going on, going well right. mentally. So, um, and there was such a variety of ages where it was probably the older people who were so stuck in their ways that were dealing with more mental stuff. Um, me, I met a lot of people my age and we, I, I met a decent amount of people my age who it kind of felt like we did want to get better. We didn't want to be here when we're in our sixties doing this, but yeah, I think, I think for the older people, um, they needed more of the mental health of anything. Right. At this point for me. I reached out to two organizations and there's more, but these two in particular were, I just, I cannot say enough about them. Learn to cope and allies in recovery. And it was all online. And I could really discuss what was happening and ask questions and receive realistic answers about this process because I just kept going to court and they would bring Sarah in. And I was so afraid of her. I wanted to see her, but at the same time, I was so scared to see you because I knew how mad you were. Well, I was also, also just being angry at life and you were the only person actively trying to change my life. So you were all I had to really be angry at at those times. Can you tell the story about court? Oh, well, one day when I, this was after my first section and I was already traumatized and I had to go to court for another reason that I had been arrested for, but I, I heard your voice some, coming from somewhere in the courthouse and instantly I out of that courthouse and get as far as way as possible because you were trying to section me. <laughs> I, and I think what happened was after the third time, you were so afraid to do anything around me for fear that I was just going to keep doing this. But after the third time, I really, with the help of these two groups, realized that this is the last resort that anybody wants to do to a family member because I could not make Sarah stop drinking. I could not make Sarah's life better. All I could do was what I did. And yeah. if, I, if I had to go back and do it all over again, I would not change a thing.
I was very persistent, but this is such a tremendously draining process that really, I did not see any benefit in it after a while. And I questioned whether or not this is even going to help. And, and I mean, Watsi does have its ups and downs as a facility itself. So, and nobody's gonna embrace being sectioned the first time. So even if Watsi has its ups and downs and there's things I don't agree with that Watsi does, I don't see shame in having to section somebody more than once because I embraced it the third time and I wanted to be sober and I was tired of the same thing. Right. But the one thing with Watsi is um, like with your individual clinicians, it's hard because you have some that just go by the book. I had a clinician that never even touched alcohol. So how was I supposed to get help from somebody kind of just following the book you know and then I had others that really were deep had family members deep in addiction so Watsi there are some clinicians where you might not feel like you're getting the help you need but there are people even the people who are being sectioned that I've had some of the best conversations with and whether you like Watsi or not I definitely don't think it's harmful to or feel bad about having to section somebody more than once. Right. My biggest concern was, and I've spoken to other parents about this, is I did not want you to feel like you were a prisoner. I didn't want you to feel like you were being, you were being treated as if you did something bad, that you were bad. And what some people don't realize is, is if there's not a bed available, that individual is going to a correctional facility. That's correct. So they will sit in a jail cell. And also sitting in a, yeah, and they will be sitting in a jail cell going through withdrawals and they can't even get their detox medicine till they get to Wapti because they don't give that to you at the jail. Right. Now here in Springfield, the Western Mass treatment facility for men, they have, uh, it's on Mill Street, they have a section, their unit for section 35 unit for men. And it is one of the most amazing programs I've seen. Ronnie Robinson, who is one of the counselors there, is amazing. And their outlook on treating comorbid diagnoses is so incredibly helpful because it never is really just an addiction. There's all of these other aspects to your mental health that go along with it. And I'm grateful for the help that Watsi gave you. And I'm grateful that we can sit here now and talk about it. I would not have been able to do this without the help of a couple of very close friends that also we're going through the same thing, but also the support group. Learn to cope is, I cannot, I just cannot say enough good things about them. They were so tremendously helpful in accepting that this is, 
now on you. And I can't make you happy. I can't make you stop drinking. But the having the courts behind me, I felt empowered that I could at least get you to a place where you were safe. Right. Yeah. And just being there, being safe and sober is kind of all some people just need in that moment because Watsi, they set you up with maybe what you need when you get out, a therapist or a doctor, but they don't follow up. So it is kind of on you to get out and be active in your um, sobriety. So now I do want to ask you, if you had a court case in that time that you Watsi, are you able to go to the court case? Well, I have seen people be brought to court and then I've also seen it see in my case I've had a court date but I was in touch with my probation officer so as long as you're in touch with them I mean the courts know where you're you are so it's kind of just up to them if you need to be in court I'm they'll bring you if not they know where you're at so do you have any advice you'd like to give parents or caregivers or on the opposite end, the individuals that are heading down the road of being sectioned. Do you have anything you'd like to say? I mean, I don't know if I'm one to give advice, but I mean, everyone's different. See, I I mean, I was lucky to have a mother like you. So I, even though I was angry and still in that situation, I, I kind of knew to embrace it. And um, I, I, it's hard. So a lot of people, you're upset when you're in there. You know, it's just, it's going to be hard. And you have no choice but to stick section. Right. You have to, you have to be there. Um, you can try to run, but um, then you will end up at the jail. And I don't think you want that because that's going to be a who knows how long you'll be there. But no matter what, it, it's going to be hard. And everyone is going to have to get sober at their own pace. But it's definitely, if I was feeling lost, I felt like I couldn't get sober on my own. So it was a blessing in disguise for me. So, and, and there's also, and there's, there's a lot of people, there's 40 girls on 40 women on a floor with you. You're not the only one feeling like that. And you, you try to make the best of it after you get over the wanting to cry every day. Right. The bottom line is there really is, there is no bottom line and caregivers of a person that's struggling with substance abuse, they all, everyone makes different choices. I made the choices that were right for me and those choices aren't always right for someone else. I had a pretty thick skin when it came to Sarah's anger towards me and I was able to separate myself from that. And that was very helpful, but there is help out there. There is support out there. Learn to cope, allies in recovery. 
there are agencies that you can go speak to someone about this process before going in and just filing these papers. Really educate yourself on the process because you can't turn around and say, once you find out there's no bed for that person and they're going to be sitting in a jail cell, that individual cannot say, okay, I wanna drop this section. It's done. They're, they're going where they're going. Yeah, and um, from what you said before, I, I don't think you and I would be able to have the relationship we have today if you if you weren't able to separate it because thing, things get pretty bad. They do. Well, I'm so proud of you, Sarah. I'm so glad you're here talking about this with me. And I hope anyone listening to this can really get out of it that there is hope. There are people out there that will walk you through this process. So please educate yourself and send me a message on Facebook. Like I said, we're going to have another name and another logo. And next week, we're going to have on the show a individual who works at the corrections facility and how they deal with mental health crises there. So thanks again, Sarah, and everyone have a great week. Be well. Thank you.